Welcome to The Build Up by Alibaba Australia New Zealand, a bite-sized podcast series here to demystify the journey of entrepreneurship with in-real-life advice from industry experts who are in the business of the build. In the midst of creating entrepreneurial projects of their very own and finding their way in the world of biz. Learn, laugh and dream big with good humans doing great work and get inspired to build an entrepreneurial journey of your own. This podcast is an initiative of Alibaba Australia New Zealand, the global technology company and is produced by The Peers Project, where progressive podcast dreams are brought to life. Hey Builders, Michelle here, and welcome back to the third episode of The Build Up by Alibaba Australia New Zealand, a guide to finding a way in the world of biz. In this episode, we explore decisions gone wrong, taking inspiration from the Chinese proverb, one only learns from one's mistakes, or We will discuss how no one is immune to making mistakes, we're all human after all. But if we simply apologise and carry on as before, we're in danger of repeating the same errors. When we don't learn from our mistakes, we inflict unnecessary stress on ourselves and on others, and we risk losing people's confidence and trust in us. Today I'm joined by Sarah Buller. Sarah is the founder and CEO of M-Time, a business dedicated to giving busy families their time back by matching them with family assistance. Sarah is also a member of Australia Post's Stakeholder Council and an advisory board member of the National Careers Institute. Previously, Sarah is a board member of the Foundation for Young Australians, the 2017 Australian Sherpa for the G20 Young Entrepreneurs Alliance, and was an honoree of Smart Companies Smart 30 Under 30. Talk about accomplished. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Amazing. Look, Sarah, please take the mic and share with us in your own words who you are, what you do and why you do it. Happily. So my name is Sarah Agbola and I'm the founder of M-Time and we're a for-purpose business that gives busy families their time back by matching them with what we call monsieurs, who are family assistants that we train to provide a mixture of at-home support and childcare tasks. And as we're for-purpose, we make a concentrated effort to hire women who are new and return to the workforce to be our monsieurs. And the why for me uh, really comes from personal experience because it was really seeing my mum struggle after my dad passed away and seeing that she really needed someone who could have just come in and taken care of her as opposed to doing a more functional task of I'm here to clean the home or I'm here to look after the kids. Sometimes when you're having those moments of stress, you just need someone who can come in and be there for you. I love that. And I actually couldn't agree more. You know, take us back to that time where I guess you had to deal with seeing your mom go through that. And then when did that come back up for you to come up with this idea of end time? Yeah. So I was 18. So I just left for uni and I was living in Sydney, but my family grew up in Wagga and our extended family is in Nigeria. So my mum was quite isolated. So I remember flying back from Sydney to go see her and doing that regularly and just being quite overwhelmed with how intense it was because I have two younger siblings and my my younger sister is um, severely disabled. So that compounded things so much more and it was hard to have um, family come over. Like we did have um, a family friend who did come and visit at one point, but it's not quite the same because even in those moments, um, you know, everyone's coming over when you're grieving and bringing flowers and trying to be there, but sometimes that can be a bit overwhelming and it's 
everyone's trying to work out what's that right way to help. But sometimes I found that if you have that almost that little bit of distance to be able to go in and still empathize, but not to also be grieving at the same time, which is what we experienced, because, you know, everyone, everyone was grieving. It was really hard. Um, and that stuck with me. So it was really when there was a concept of what if we went in and helped new mums and it was something about it, like I'm not a mother myself, but the idea of someone coming in and helping a new mum when she's having that moment, it took me a long time to realise, why do I care so much about this? And then it was really kind of sitting with it for a while and people kept asking me why. And I was like, look, I just think that when you think of those moments of anyone who's having that chronic stress or acute stress and that isn't really an option to help you, um, I just want to be that person who's able to help. And that's the vision for M time of no matter what you're going through, you have that option of someone who can come in and be empathetic and caring and just do whatever you need that help with. So, so fascinating. And I love how it's so personal for you. You know, why didn't M time already exist? Do you think, you know, why, why wasn't there a service out there helping new moms or those of us who just need a help around the house? I think it's um, a mix of just the changing times. Like I think traditionally, um, you'd have like your hetero kind of um, expectation that the man would go work, the woman would stay at home with the kids. But as things have changed, I think for the better, <laughs> <laughs> as things have changed, like that dynamic isn't there. It's still based around the idea that you have your eight hours of work, eight hours of rest, eight hours of sleep. But that's definitely not what we're seeing, especially now, given everything that's happened with COVID. Um, we're seeing even more that division of household labour whilst also working is really difficult. So over the last year, it's, we've been seeing um, actually um, a lot more men come to the service as well. Like we always, like we hire men as well. We work with men, it's for anyone. Um, but just seeing that labour and how tough it is, um, is just becoming more and more acute. So I think it's just that there was probably always a need, but it wasn't as acute as it is right now. And how did you go about addressing that need? You know, when you realised that you had a passion for this idea, you know, what were those few things you did to try and really get this off the ground and, and start building? Yeah, so um, it was quite funny because I had a co-founder at the time and we were, uh, I like to joke that having a startup is very cool while it's still in your head. Like when you've got this idea and you're telling everyone you're a startup, you're an entrepreneur, but you haven't actually started. That's the funnest part. That's the best part of all. Um, but then you have to start. And it was when we had that push of someone like, why don't you just start and do it? And then we're like, all right, let's do it. Um, we just went on Instagram um, and we got some stock images <laughs> and said, who would buy um, this service? If you could have someone come into your home and help you with whatever you needed, who would buy it? And then we reached out to they weren't called micro-influencers back then. It wasn't that long ago. It was 2016, but it feels like a, a very long time ago. Um, yeah, micro-influencers were the things. We didn't have to pay for it. People were actually just really interested in the concept, and so then they were happy to share it with us, and they would have maybe 5,000 followers or less, but those were really engaged followers. And, again, it was also back when Instagram, you could get really good reach um, organically. So through that, just from mum sharing it for us, we ended up choosing um, 10 women to actually give the service to, and, you know, we just had, like, a PayPal account for them, and we did have a couple there, but people had given us money. So that was the point of no return. And that was how we got started. I love that. You know, this podcast is all about the build. You know, now that it's been oh, probably about six years now, how do you stay motivated to keep building, especially during a time like what we had, you know, in 2020 with COVID? I think for me, it's definitely been, am I still learning something? Because I, and I think that was the point when um, when I've had dips is because I'm actually just doing the same thing over and over. Like there's no longer that growth. Um, like right now, 
starting to move into B2B, starting to expand, I'm really, really engaged because it's extremely difficult. I don't know what I'm doing, but every day I'm like, wow, I've learned something new. I'm going to apply this. And that's why I tell myself the moment that I know that I don't want to do this anymore is the moment that I'm no longer learning and growing from it. I love that. How can we embrace that idea of constant learning and growing? I think it's just being really open to things as well. And just knowing that like, to be brave, there has to be fear. Otherwise you wouldn't be being brave. And that's something that I find I often forget because you're like, oh, I wish I was as brave as them. But like those people are still scared. And so when I have that feeling of discomfort and that nervousness, I kind of feel like, okay, I'm actually on the right path because I'm doing something new and that means I'm growing. And so when you kind of embrace that nervous feeling and see it as a good thing, that's how you can keep pushing. Mm. And talk to us about a time where you really had to keep pushing in the last perhaps 12 months or perhaps it was the early days. You know, how do you gain the courage to keep pushing when you feel like you've got nothing left to give? Oh gosh, I'm trying to choose which moment to <laughs> which moment to refer to. I think um, just even in the last year, because um, we had to close for quite a while um, because of the lockdowns in Melbourne, um, and it was really it was really quite overwhelming because it, you know you have that uncertainty of like, well, what's going to happen? Are we going to get our customers back? Um, and it was really just focusing on the learning again. I was like, actually, how can we reframe this opportunity? Um, or the situation to think, well, actually, all of a sudden I've got six months to work on the business, um, which I've never really had before. So I ended up, um, we were fortunate to be able to um, kind of put some reserves aside because we were always used to being in cockroach mode, so to speak. So the loss of income, we were used to it. <laughs> um, so we were able to kind of work our way around it and ended up um, pulling our resources and working on the business so much that we're actually able to start this year and we've like doubled our customer base very quickly to the point that like I have to keep reminding myself it's a good problem to have and so even though it was like quite scary at the time just seeing it as that okay great now we can actually learn we can use uh all the skills we've had before to create something new and it's been really lucky Mm. I love that and I love your outlook, Sarah, you know, you're just, you're so positive and you stay, I guess, so committed. How can we develop that, you know, as young entrepreneurs, as those of us wanting to start side hustles, how can we actually cultivate that mindset? I think it's really, I think it's something you actively have to think about. And it's like, how can I see this as an opportunity in every situation? And I do that not only on a work perspective, but just generally in life as well. Um, Because I think sometimes things can get so intense that you just don't have a choice. Um, And for me, why I had that mindset was after my dad passed away, because it was just, it really rocked me. But it changed my perspective completely. And so now it's like, well, you have to take the most of every situation. I absolutely love it. So now we're going to move on to have a bit of a discussion about today's Chinese proverb, and that is, one only learns from one's mistakes, or qi qian zhang yi zhi. Sarah, what does this message mean to you, and what's a mistake that you've made recently that ultimately led you to the path you're on now? Yeah, well, I think, um, to me, it's all that growth again. Like, I, I feel like I keep harping on about it, but like, yeah, it's just the biggest driver of me. Growth and having fun are <laughs> my two things. Um, and it's really that you can't learn if you're not making mistakes. And I think that's so beautiful. Again, it's like, oh, I have to do something new. I feel really nervous and sick. But it's no, that's that's the moment that you know that you're on the right path. Um, and I think the mistakes that I've made, in fact, 
the core thing behind every mistake I have made um, in business is mistaking problems for emotions. So when you kind of say you have a problem with your team or you're not sure what to do with your um, with your strategy and things like that, the actual problem itself, if you were to stop and think about it, remove your emotions, is usually probably straightforward to fix. It's just that there's probably a lot of tension about it because you're nervous, you haven't done it before, or you know that it's really important, you have to get it right, or perhaps it's you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. But if you can separate the two, it's going to be much easier to actually embrace the learning and keep going. It's so hard to do, yeah. you know. <laughs> I mean, when you're in it and you're dealing with all of the emotions and you're dealing with, you're trying to figure out how you're going to navigate it. You know, what are some tools and strategies that you use in those tough moments to really separate the two, the emotion from the actual problem? Well, I'm someone who's like, I wear my heart on my sleeve, which is probably very apparent. So I'm a very emotional person. So I always let myself feel it, um, but I'm going to take my, remove myself from the situation, actually let myself sit down and write down what I'm feeling. And I always love to journal. I do that every day. And then I do the same for the problem. Well, what is the problem? What is everything that's actually stressing me out? When I initially had a co-founder, one of the best things that we did was that each of us, whenever we were stressed, would sit down and write down what was stressing us. Then we'd swap lists. Without fail, both of us were able to say, oh no, I can solve this and I can solve that. So it's something that I've kept doing even just by myself, or maybe I'll go to an advisor or I'll look at it the next day. And all of a sudden the problem itself isn't that big a deal. The emotions, very heavy, but, but it's okay. I totally understand. No, that, that's such a great strategy. I love it. You know, I guess on this idea of growing and trying to stay in, aligned to what we're trying to build, you know, what's your advice for first-time entrepreneurs who kind of, they stuff up big time or they make those big mistakes that we make in the early days and they don't know how to settle the dust and how to really come back from it? Yeah, well, I think um, there's a couple of things. Um, the first is definitely just kind of allowing yourself to have the emotions. I think it's really healthy and necessary to let yourself feel. We're all humans. Um, but then to also recognize what's the difference between the emotion and the problem. And then the second thing is to make sure you reach out to other people, even if they're not necessarily an entrepreneur themselves. If there's someone that you trust that you can just kind of vent and let it out to. Um, there's something that I've started doing, which is having like you're in like almost a personal advisory board of just people that you know that you can go in and speak to about things. And when you, you know, problem shared is a problem halved. So having that mentality of kind of putting it out there and understanding that there's what's happening in your head versus what's happening, um, it can really help you overcome and it can help put things into perspective and you don't have to feel so alone and isolated, which sometimes happens for us as, as founders. How can we build that personal advisory board that you talk about? Like where can we go and how can we build that for ourselves? Yeah, I think um, if you want people who also have, I guess, some entrepreneurial experience, I think Facebook groups are a big thing. Like that's something that for me out of pure frustration, I've just like at various times gone to the Melbourne startups or Sydney startups pages and said, hey, who wants to meet up and hang out or create different groups myself? But I also just speak to my friends who have like, no experience in it and just say, Hey, can I, I'm having this problem. Can I just hear another perspective? And then having those couple of people that I've already said, Hey, is it okay if I come to you when I'm having some work stresses? Um, that's just been really helpful. And I didn't always do that because I did think, Oh, they're not really going to get it. But you know, especially when it's the emotions, which makes things bigger, most people could still understand the emotions. So that's been really helpful just to reach out to people you already know. Mm. I love that. Look within your inner circle. On the topic of vulnerability and making mistakes, can you talk to us a little bit about that? To what extent do we have to be vulnerable when we do make mistakes and, and how can we cultivate more of that vulnerability? 
Yeah, for for me, it's um, it's always been quite interesting because I just don't have, I don't mind saying that things are hard or that I don't know what to do. I don't have that. Like, why would I know? I'm 27. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what reason would I have to know? So I think maybe it's almost having a bit of um, uh, not taking things as seriously almost. Um, like, I'll always have a joke about it, like just um, about what I'm going through and having those conversations. And I think that's why I don't mind that piece of vulnerability. And I also find that when you reach out to people and you are being honest, nine times out of 10, they're going to empathize with you they'll probably end up sharing with you whenever I've had to do public speaking I'll always start from the heart and then without fail I'll always end up having people telling me things that they probably wouldn't have said otherwise so it's just kind of again that bravery that fear and discomfort but recognizing that's actually how you connect with people that's how you grow that's how those good things happen um so yeah I hope that's helpful for people Mm. so on that idea of being comfortable sharing openly and being comfortable having the bravery to go for it, to build what you want to build and to progress from there, you know, how can we really build that? And for those of us who already feel like we've got a little bit of it, how can we take it to the next level? Mm, I guess the big things for me, again, are actually coming down to sharing and then just that moment of starting. Um, I think Um, There's so many tools available as well, just to be able to quickly like put together a website, figure out how to get the payments going through and just test. And I also, I often find that there's a big feeling of needing to have everything done. And that kind of comes from that place of feeling that you need to have it completely together. But there's nothing wrong with being vulnerable and saying, actually, I don't know. So I'm just going to test quickly. And push comes to shove. Being able to test quickly will save you a lot of time and money because you've got to see what works and what is actually worth investing in. So yeah, I think it's really just about, again, embracing that inner discomfort. <laughs> you know, you mentioned that for you, it really came when, you're, when your father passed away, that you had to start embracing that. For those of us who haven't had a traumatic event happen in our lives and, and, and whatnot, you know, how can we get better at doing that? How can we start to embrace the you know, the things we actually want to be doing. And when it comes to business, when it comes to entrepreneurship, how can we really embrace the tough things that are going to help us build and take us to the next level? I think it's about building up your resilience and your grit. And this might sound silly, but one of the really great ways of doing that is actually just doing something you haven't done before, no matter what it is. So like, say you've never played piano, go to a piano lesson and know that you are going to get it wrong repeatedly. And getting used to getting it wrong repeatedly is how you can slowly build your resilience. Because you start with something small and what's largely inconsequential, then that can that attitude will just start getting applied to other aspects of your life. So that's something I still do now, especially now that I've been in it for a while, I've kind of gotten used to it and need to start building up my resilience for different things. It's like, actually, what's a new class I could go to? What's a new thing I could start learning and challenge myself on um, and get used to being wrong and, and failing, I guess. Oh, the power of failing. <laughs> what's your, I guess, two, three tips on this idea of failure? Um, I think seeing failure as a lesson. Um, and just thinking about actually, what could I do differently? Every time something doesn't work out, um, actually, sorry, rather than the lesson, see, it's a test. It was just a test that didn't work out. I'll try to get into it and see how I can build upon that next time. Um, I think getting used to the discomfort and using that almost as the, com- as the compass for where you should be going. 
Um, and I think the last thing, again, is just making sure you share with people, making sure you, um, and if you don't have someone to share with, maybe just reading other people's experiences. So you can kind of remember that that failure or those tests are really, really normal. And that's actually the only way that you could succeed. It's just that that other person tried that extra time. It's so true. Oh my goodness, Sarah, I've got a couple final questions for you. I'm absolutely loving this. I guess the first one is on this idea of making mistakes, on this idea of failure, you know, for those of us who are perfectionists, for those of us who are very used to always having things right and sorted, how can we, I guess, get better at embracing it? And more so than that, how can we welcome it into what we're doing and what we're trying to build? Yeah, I used to like... um my friends will laugh at me at this uh, for this, but I used to think, oh, I'm not a perfectionist. I just need everyone to do things exactly how I said. And it's like, no, it's no problem at all. Um, but I just like, and then I kind of caught myself and was like, oh, wait. Um, so first is just kind of being very aware, self-aware um, of your perfectionism. And then again, I think it's really, you need to put yourself in the situations where it's less uncomfortable for you to be wrong. So maybe it's like, I um, tend to be a big people pleaser. So the idea of like going up and ordering a drink and not knowing when I, what I want when I'm at the counter and upsetting everyone behind me is catastrophic, but go, forcing myself to do that because again, really it's pretty inconsequential. Everyone's going to have to wait an extra 30 seconds, putting yourself in those situations and practicing getting used to that and seeing that the result actually isn't that significant. And if anything, it actually increases your well-being because you're not kind of practicing habits, which although helpful sometimes can also be unhelpful, <laughs> helps your body and your nervous system actually get very used to those feelings. Mm. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. It's been so amazing to have you. We've learned so much, so many gems of wisdom from you. Where can we learn more about you and M Time? Uh, well, you're welcome to look me up on LinkedIn. Just look up Sarah Agbola and M Time. You can visit our website on mtime.com.au. And thank you so much for having me. Now, on the subject of grit and determination to keep building against all odds, let's explore the journey that our podcast partner, Alibaba, has been on in becoming one of the largest digital economies in the world. Alibaba Group was established in 1999 by a mere 18 people, led by Jack Ma, a former English teacher from Hangzhou, China. From the outset, the company's founders shared a belief that the internet would level the playing field by enabling small enterprises to leverage innovation and technology to grow and compete more effectively in the domestic and global economies. We love a democratic dream. Since launching its first website, helping small Chinese exporters, manufacturers and entrepreneurs to sell internationally, Alibaba Group has grown into a global leader in online and mobile commerce. Today, the company and its related companies operate leading wholesale and retail online marketplaces, as well as businesses in cloud computing, digital media and entertainment, innovation initiatives, and more. Thanks for listening to The Build Up by Alibaba Australia New Zealand, a guide to finding a way in the world of biz. Before you go and start building, hit subscribe and leave a review if you found this podcast helpful. That way, more people like you are able to find us and listen too. To keep up, 
with all of the exciting events happening in the world of global biz, follow Alibaba on Instagram and Facebook at alibaba.anz and subscribe to the Alibaba Made Easy email list at the link in this episode's description. Thanks again for listening. And remember to never stop building your dreams.